Hi, I'm Dr. Daniel Golshevsky, paediatrician and father of three. Welcome to my podcast, Dr. Golly and the Experts. Each episode, I'm joined by a parent who has faced an enormous challenge in raising their child and come out the other side as the expert. My guest today was one of the most popular characters ever on Big Brother Australia. Reggie Bird delighted audiences with her bubbly and no-nonsense attitude, winning Big Brother in 2003 and again in 2022. In her own words, Reggie can come across as a bit of a tough nut, but that's because she's had to be. At the same time that Reggie was dealing with her own health condition and declining eyesight, her son Lucas was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis at four weeks of age. He's turning 14 this year, and the battle to keep him alive has been unrelenting. Reggie, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. That's I, a pleasure. I'm so excited. <laughs> First, I can't talk to you without a smile creeping across my face. You just have that effect on people, oh, which I love. Thank you. Um, but, you know, I, I've wanted for so long to have you on this show because and we're going to get into the nitty gritty of it, but I, I feel like a lot of people have heard about cystic fibrosis, but there's a very superficial understanding that it's just people who have lung problems and they cough a lot, but it is so yeah. much more broad than that. Yes, it's it's definitely, um, I always say, like, why is it just called a lung disease? Yeah. Because it's because it's not. It's, it affects the whole digestive uh, system. And, um, you know, it affects the, it affects the liver, the kidneys, um, Oh gosh, everything. everything. Yeah, like yeah. yeah, just everything in their bodies. Yeah. And so uh, before Lucas was diagnosed, and we'll get talk about the process in a moment. What did you know about CF beforehand? Well, Dale, my husband at the time, Lukey's dad, he's he was working at the fire station. He's um he used to be a fireman, and one of his best mates who who he worked with, his son has cystic fibrosis. So we knew what that was, which is, you know, just terrible. Um, but anyway, like, and and then when Lucas, when we did find out about Lucas being diagnosed, on the list of things that that the, I can't remember who we saw. Anyway, they had a list like 30, 30 different things on this list, which, which was sent to us in the mail. And one of them was cystic fibrosis. And I just, when I saw that, I thought, oh no, I hope it's, Hope it's not cystic fibrosis, and then um, I rang the the specialist, and I said, "What's wrong with my baby?" And they wouldn't tell me over the phone, and they said, "We can't see you for two weeks." and And I'm like, "No, this can't be happening. I want to find out now." and And then I rang Dale, and then the next day we got in to go and see the specialist, and then they told us then it was cystic fibrosis. And what what was it with Lucas that prompted the investigation in the first place? Um, well, they do a heel prick test um, when he was born. And also I found with Lucas was his poos weren't the same as Mia's. Mm. Um, I can remember like, oh, it was a different colour and it, and the smell was just like really bad. Like, And I thought this doesn't seem right, like just wasn't normal. And the poor little bugger, I can remember when um, – well, once we found out about CF and, and all the medication that he has to take and his enzymes, and I'm thinking of breastfeeding him, and but it was all just going straight through him. 
and and that's why his poos were were really bad. So mm. he would have been he would have been in a lot of discomfort and a lot of pain as well during that time before he was diagnosed. And did you know that you were a carrier of the gene beforehand, or did Dad? No, both of us had no idea. Yeah, it's very very common. Yeah, and we didn't find that out until we you know started learning about CF, like. Mm. Um, Dale was a carrier and I was a carrier and no one in both sides of our family have CF or, or are carriers. Um, but also when I think back to when I was having scans with Lucas, I think it might've been a 12 week scan, but I remember them doing the scan and then they, they called me back again the next day and I had to go and redo it again because they found the what like there was a white spot on his bowel and that's the very first sign of cystic fibrosis um, inside the womb. Yeah. So for some context, this is a condition that affects one in 3,000 newborns where one in 25 are carriers. And you can look back through lineage. It, it, it almost always comes from Northern Europe. That's where um, CF carriage originates. And if you have parents, both parents are carriers of the same uh, genetic mutation, then there are four possible outcomes with a child, male or female. There are either, uh, there are two out of four chance that that child will be an unaffected carrier, like the parents, a one in four chance that the child will have CF, and a one in four chance that the child will have no CF and not be a carrier. Um, so in your case, obviously you were a carrier, as was dad, and Lucas was the one in four who was affected by the mm. condition. So what is the condition? Well, there is this uh, gate on cells, for want of a better term, almost like a bouncer that uh, allows the flow of water and, and chloride in and out of cells. Um, and that gate is, is called the CFTR protein. That's the thing that is defective. And it's used in the production of sweat. It's used in um, digestive fluids and, and mucus. So the best way to conceptualize it is that things that should be thin and watery become thick. So like you talked about meconium, the first baby poo. So one of the first signs and common ways that this is diagnosed is that um, baby meconium doesn't come out because it's too thick. So you can have delayed passage and, and the gut can't absorb uh, certain vitamins, things that are fat soluble. So vitamins A, D, E, and K. And, and as we talked about before, Reggie, this condition affects, it, it feels like it affects every single body system. So mm. yes, it's a lung condition, but then again, if you can't absorb vitamin D, you're going to have bone problems. And if you can't absorb vitamin K, you're going to have bleeding problems. And these kids have malabsorption. So they're always battling low weight. Yeah. Um, and then, well, you know, it affects the pancreas, as you correctly mentioned. So they yep. effectively become a mixture of type one and type two diabetics at the same time. We often even start insulin earlier than necessary with these kids because insulin has an anabolic effect. It makes you put on weight. So we often start it early. So what do you need to do? What did you need to do when Lucas was young? And what are you still needing to do to keep him well from a respiratory point of view? Yeah. So when um, he was a baby, I remember, um, we were taught how to give him physiotherapy. So uh, every day he has to have physiotherapy. And when he gets sick, uh, it's twice a day. Um, we we got to do the physio. But yeah, as a baby, we used to get we only tap him, tap him on his his front, his back, his side. So and, and it, it was just like two two fingers to start with, 
so we wouldn't, you know, hurt him, but um, also to try and move move that this mucus. Is to try to loosen these secretions. Yeah, yeah loosen that up at, um, out of his lungs. And, um, and then as he's got older, you, you learn to use your hand and, and, and go harder and harder as, as he gets, as he's grown. Um, and I also ended up getting a, a vest, uh, like a, a vibrating vest when he was about three or four when I got got him the vest um, to help uh, because cause I'm losing my eyesight um, with my eye condition, eye disease that I've got. I was finding of um, of a night time when I was giving him his physio, I was missing missing his body and I was hitting him in the face, <laughs> poor little bugger. <laughs> I used to slap him in the face and I'm like, oh, I, I need help here. So I got him, I got him a vest to, to help with the physiotherapy, but uh, gosh, he hasn't used the vest for a while now because he, he hates it. So, And how often is he hospitalised? Oh gosh, at the start, uh, I think his first admission, oh, he was so young. I don't know how many months old he was, and he had the bron- bronco. Is it bronchoscopy? I can't say. It Where they put the camera down? Yes, yep. yes. So he had that done, and then he wasn't even two years old when he had his first pick line put in. Um, so that's like a long-standing IV drip. That's to give antibiotics over a long period of time. Yeah, and I can remember, I uh, they couldn't get it into his arm, and then they put it into his. They put something into his foot and it was just really, really horrible. And then we used to be in hospital, I reckon, ah, oh, geez, every two, twice a year, three times a year um, for years. And you'd stay for two weeks at a time, um, each admission. And do they, do they have a special name for it at the hospital where you attended? Yes, we call it a, a oh my goodness, I've gone blank. Do they yeah. call it a tune-up? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> tune up. Yeah, going we're going in for a tune up. But it's horrible. Like I used to I, I hate staying in hos, hospital uh with him. It's just awful. Just seeing what he goes through and mm. when you do do the tune ups like with cystic fibrosis, they can't be in another ward with another cystic fibrosis patients. But you know, all the finger pricks doing all his when he's on these strong IVs, like he's he's gotta have finger prick tests every few hours and test and then that affects his liver and oh it's just an ongoing thing as a junior resident at the children's hospital in melbourne i had a rotation for a few months in the respiratory unit Ah. and um and so i was heavily involved uh, with these families of children having tune-ups and i guess the best way to describe it is it's literally a tune-up like you would for a car you sort of park the car and, and you give it everything it needs. So yeah. the, these poor kids, as you've described with Lucas, there's so many things going on that you're doing so much at home, but every now and then you need to come into hospital for an intensive burst, two weeks, sometimes three weeks of yeah. multiple therapies to get them as as tuned up, as well-functioning as possible, and then you send them home. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and during that time, one thing that always struck me, you you develop such a close relationship with these kids and with the parents. Oh, have Have you found that? Yeah, even now, like because we go to Brisbane um, for his checkups, and uh, the, the CF team have been with Lucas since he was a baby. So we, quite we've remarkable. been seeing. Yeah, we've been seeing them for yeah nearly fourteen years now, and they're just 
you know, over the years how they've just watched him grow and, and yeah, it's it, they're just like a, a second family, I guess, yeah. <laughs> in a way. Yeah. And it's quite unique yeah. in, in paediatrics because we have, um, obviously with different conditions, you have different uh, frequency of seeing families. Um, if it's cancer and oncology, for example, it's usually you know, commonly a, a, a intense but brief period of time, relatively brief. Yeah. But when it comes to CF, you're every few weeks it, back again, yeah. every few weeks back again. And there's something yeah. beautiful in that from our point of view, um, but obviously exceptionally taxing on families. Oh, t- yeah. Like my anxiety levels, the minute Lucas gets, if I hear a wet cough, because that's one of the signs of him getting sick. As soon as I hear that cough, I, my anxiety goes through the roof and I'm like, it's like, no, I've got to get on. So well, t- tell me what happens. What happens? You hear a wet cough. What's the process? Yeah. So, um, so normally straight away, like, we always have antibiotics available um, in the cupboard. So as st- soon as soon as that wet cough uh, hits, uh, try and get him on the antibiotics straight away to try and, you know, knock it on the head. But also he has a smell on his breath and he's, and even when I smell the, his breath, I'm like, you're getting sick or you, you, can, you can smell it and you know that it's coming. And this year we both ended up getting the flu like really, really bad. Lucas come down when it, with it first and then I got it. It just knocked us both so bad. I've never had a flu like it. But then, and even like with, with COVID, like when COVID hit as well, like I just was like, oh, I don't want Lucas to, to get this. I'm like, you know, it, it, it could kill him. And that was an in- interesting phase of our lives as well. Like when COVID hit um, with the hand washing and masks and all this hand sanitizing. And I'm like, oh, this is nothing new to us. <laughs> welcome to my world. <laughs> like, welcome to my world. You know, like I'm thinking of oh, people whinging about, about putting on a mask and I'm like, we, we're so used to this. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it was, it was interesting. And um, it was an interesting time. It's like, well, this is what we do all the time. So let's talk about that, the, the whole yeah. mask wearing. And you mentioned before, you can't be around other kids with CF. Um, can you explain why? Why can't two kids with CF be in the same room? Yeah, they can't be in the same room um, as each other because of the bugs in their lungs. So they have whatever's in, in their lungs, it can be passed on to the next CF kid. So, and, they, uh, and a lot of CFers catch uh, Pseudomonas, which mm-hmm. is a yeah, bacterial well, infection. And once, once you, they pretty much get pseudo, they've always constantly got it. So yeah, they just can't be near another kid with CF, which is sad. That's right. Yeah, and and it's sort of like, oh, I wish Lucas could meet these other kids who have CF. Um, I've got I've got some friends that um, quite a few friends on Facebook who mums with their kids who have CF and other CFers and and um and there's one uh, Lily and Joel boy. They live in Perth, well, Western Australia, and they do FaceTime and they FaceTime Lucas and. Which is which is nice. That is yeah. nice. So, the we talked about mucus being very thick we, in in an unaffected person. You and I, if you get a, a lung infection, a cold, viral, bacterial, anything, and you get mucus and gunk in your lungs, what happens is you've got these tiny hairs that line the airway, and they 
flow and bring that mucus up. You then feel it in the back of your throat, you cough it, you spit it out. The mucus is too thick for these kids with CF, and so it builds up. They cannot clear infections, which is why antibiotics are used so much. And then they become what we, the term that we use is colonized, which means the bug is there and the bug isn't going anywhere. The other problem they have is with antibiotic resistance. So because these kids are getting antibiotics so often, the bugs can eventually become uh, stronger and they need, you need to use stronger antibiotics. And as you said, you need a, a pick line, a, a, a special type of IV line, and the options available to you get less and less and less, which is why we've got to be so scared of certain infections, like, as you mentioned, Pseudomonas aeruginosa. So how has his treatment changed over time and how has it changed from him as a kid, say seven or eight-year-old, to now as a 14-year-old? Yeah, it, it has changed a lot, like, um, and especially like with the medications as well, like because he was on Orcambi, we got him on Orcambi and now he's on Trikafta, which is mm-hmm. a, a new drug which has become available here in Australia. And that's always been an absolute shit fight <laughs> to get yes. all these drugs, yeah, to put on the PBS. Um, it's just I mean, been... these are drugs that are almost half a million dollars a year yeah. to be able yeah. to purchase them privately. It's, uh, yeah, 300000 yeah. um for, for these drugs. And since he's been on Trikafta, it's just been an absolute miracle. Like, he he's not as, um, gosh, he's not as sick. He's put on weight. He's... It's just helped so much um, with with him. And he's also been playing basketball, so that's helped massively. Um, as soon as he played basketball and got on the trikafta, we we haven't been in hospital now for four years. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's yeah, which is just, oh, it's unbelievable. But the treatments, yeah, these drugs have, have helped Lucas so much. I just, oh, I just can't believe it. But he, he did get taken off Trikafta recently because uh, his liver levels were through the roof. Mm-hmm. So they took him off it for about two months, and uh, but he's now back back on it again. So the liver come back, come right back down, and um, yeah, so he's back on it again, which is good. Yeah, the treatment uh, for CF has come such a long way. I mean, in as recently as 1960, which in medicine is is literally yesterday. The average survival was months. Yeah. You know, babies were not, were not, you certainly weren't seeing their first birthday. And now it's 50 plus for most cases, 50 years plus. Um, new therapies being developed all the time, double lung transplants occurring with survival upwards of 10 years after that. H- have these kinds of things been discussed in your family? Oh, gosh. Look, I sort of don't talk. I mean, he sees me get upset, like when I, when I, see people that have passed away um, from CF and, you know, and he's like, oh, mum, what's wrong? And, you know, I go, another CF has died and and this is why, I, you know, and I say to him, this is why you've got to make sure you take your tablets, take your medication, Lucas, because he does. I've, the other week I found all these tablets underneath his bed, the little bugger. Um, and now and I think that's part of becoming a teenager as well. Like he hates taking the tablets. He goes, I'm sick of taking them, mum. Just, just give give us context. How many tablets? Oh, it's not like one or two. How many tablets no. are we talking about in a day? Oh gosh, in a day, oh, he can take up to twenty, thirty, maybe. Um, 
Because the enzymes, the creon that he has, he has to have that. Yeah, these these are pancreatic enzymes that aren't yeah. being produced that you have to take in order to help your body absorb, absorb the food. food. I remember um, I went to school with a boy who had CF and he used to come with two lunchboxes. Oh, wow. He had his lunchbox of food, which was always full of the fattiest, most junk food. Yes. And we would look at him and think, how are you allowed that? And he would explain <laughs> that because uh, I can't put on yeah. weight unless I eat fat. <laughs> yeah, fat. So he has to have a high, high fat, high, high calorie. High fat diet, yeah. And then he'd have yeah. his second lunchbox with just dozens and dozens of tablets. Tablets. And capsules. It's in the most extraordinary amount. And I'm really interested in that because you do see that at, you know, standard teenage behavior where they start to rebel a bit. Yes. So you're getting that now yep. with Lucas. Yeah. Yeah. I've I found all these tablets and and I I pretty much have to stand and watch him take them. I, I, I don't go out the room or whatever. Or I have to watch him take the tablets. Otherwise, I know that he's hiding them. And I keep saying to him, mate, like if, if you don't take your tablets, you're not going to put on any weight. You're not going to grow you know, like, and he wants to be this superstar basketball player. And I said, mate, you just got to keep taking your tablets and you'll grow like you will. You'll put on weight. Yeah, he's starting to rebel. And I think a lot of a lot of them do go through that, which is understandable. I mean, I I choke on taking one tablet. <laughs> I'm hopeless. <laughs> yeah, but in, and he, he takes handfuls of, of these pills um, every single day. What would you say over the last 14 years has been the hardest thing for you and your family? Um, mentally, it's mentally draining, like, especially when you see them sick. When, when he goes to hospital, you, you try and stay st- as strong as you can and, you know, but oh, it's just mentally draining. And, and I also have always had this guilt, guilt of giving Lucas this disease. So I feel guilty that I've passed this on <clears throat> to him and I would do anything to take that away, but I can't. So, yeah, it's it's de- depressing. Um, yeah, you just got, you know, and you've got to try and stay stay strong. Um, what about otherwise Lucas? You, what would he answer to that question? Yeah, he's now, um, I think as he's, as he's getting older, He's starting to feel like because of all his hormones are changing and, you know, growing and all that kind of stuff, uh, teenager, he's starting to really hate, like he's going to hate this, mum, I hate it. And and it's, it, yeah, I think as he's getting older and as he understands more about it, he's, he's um, it's making him feel like crap, to be honest, yeah. How, how do you manage caring for him? And yet still remaining present for your daughter, Mia. Oh, yeah. She's, see, Mia's been left out a lot and she's felt like she's been left out the whole, all her life, really. Especially like when Lucas was a baby and younger and because and I had to give the physio to him of a night time. Uh, physio, you know, during the day, physio of a night before he went to sleep because um, that used to put him to sleep, patting him. And then she would go to bed and she'd miss out on her time of me going in and reading her a story or talking to her. And and I feel bad again because I didn't give her that time. And, and you know, and as, as she's grown up, she's like, you always, it's always Lucas. It's always about Lucas. So she's felt left out. Yeah. Which is 
been hard as well. How much older is Mia than Lucas? Mia's, she's 16. She'll be 17 next year. And are they close? They used to be close. They used to be, but not anymore. They fight like cats and dogs. Yeah, which which is normal, I guess. Yeah, mm. but it's an it, yeah. it's an almost impossible juggle. Yeah, and then when you throw then into the mix your own health challenges. With, oh gosh, as you said, retinitis pigmentosa and, and Usher syndrome. So this is declining vision, declining hearing. What what does this what does this mean for you? Oh gosh, my my health is like. <laughs> Had. It's, I've got all these problems. It's it's unbelievable. And with the with the mother's guilt that you describe, I imagine you're putting Lucas here. You're putting Mia. And w- how far down that list do you come in there? Oh, I'm last. <laughs> I'm last. Yeah, yeah. My my like eyesight is like it is declining quite rapidly. So I'm hanging on to my last little bit of nine degrees. I've got less. What, what can what right now? What can you see? Um, so when, when I'm looking at you, like I know there's a microphone here, but I can't see the microphone until like I actually The microphone that's just centimetres in front of you? Yeah, I can't see that at all. I've got no peripheral vision, um, just pinhole vision, which is like looking through a straw. That's how I explain it to people. And, um, and yeah, no night vision either. I I can't see in the dark. Hence why I've got, um... (laughs) scrapes on my face today because <laughs> I fell up the stairs last night. So what? Are you, how are you getting around? I've got a cane that I use that when I go to the shops or if I'm in crowded areas, I get my cane out. I can walk. If I, if I know where I'm going um, and I'm familiar, like when I do my walks, I, I don't get the cane out because um, no one's sort of near me when, when I'm walking. And I get buses and taxis, um, Ubers, friends, they they help take me to appointments and things. Um, yeah, it's frustrating not being able to drive. And that's another thing as well, because the kids miss out on so many things. Like like with Lucas, when he was playing basketball, well, I couldn't take him to training and I can't take him to games and I've got to rely on people to get lifts and I hate asking and yeah and Mia hasn't played any sport because I'm like she she was doing gymnastics when she was younger um it was just a nightmare for me to 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 try and get her to get her there yeah and it was so expensive to get a taxi but there and back I was it was like sixty dollars to get and I'm like I couldn't afford it um being on how pardon my ignorance but how on earth do you manage hundreds of medications for Lucas on a daily basis? Yeah, so Lucky, his his stuff's on the PBS and he's got a a healthcare card. But when when they turn, this is another thing I need to start campaigning for, is when they turn 16, they lose their healthcare card, I think it is. They've got to start paying full price. And that's like insane, like amount of money for, for the medications. Yeah, I just do. Like I make up his ta- his salt tablets because he takes salt because like with us, we reabsorb the salt back into our bodies. CFs lose all their salt and I make up the gel caps uh, with the salt, which <laughs> which goes everywhere. But any- anyway, I, I, I managed to get it done. Um, yeah, I just do like... <laughs> Absolutely. It's extraordinary. Yeah. You, you, you yeah. come across, Reggie, as so... Very resilient. And Lucas, to outsiders, looks like a completely normal kid. 
Oh, do, yeah. Do, do people in your life, in your world, do they understand how serious these challenges are for you and your family? My family do, but others, like, don't really, I guess. Oh, I don't know. Like, like my friends know how bad my, like my eyesight has, has become, um, you know, they, they know, you know, when they're out with me or Reg, you know, there's, they'll go, there's a step here and there's this here. And so they do like help that way. But no, it's, it's no one really, I guess, totally understands the whole scheme of things here. And you've, you've got this enormous challenge on a daily basis that, that you're managing with Lucas. You've got this declining vision and and hearing syndrome, the guilt that you've mentioned about your daughter who is well but is neglected in many ways. Yeah. How is it that you stay so, and you're doing all of this in the public eye, how do you yes. stay so upbeat, so positive and, and so seemingly resilient? I just, I think of everything, I've, so much stuff has happened to me in my life. I just you know, I look at it and I go, okay, it's just another hurdle. I got to get over this hurdle, and I just got to, just got to keep on going. That's what what I say to myself, and I always think, oh, you know, there's always someone worse off in the world than than me. But I just got to keep on going. I've got to stay strong uh, for the kids. Yeah, just have to. You've been navigating all of this specifically from a CF point of view for fourteen years. What would you say to a parent who's just received a diagnosis? Oh, gosh. Oh, man. Ah, geez. Just try and keep your child as healthy as possible, <laughs> which is, which is hard, but it's, it's a long, it's, it's hard, but you just got to do it. You just have to, you just have, you've got no choice. You, you just have to keep, keep on going and, and, you know, it's. It's heartbreaking, but you just, I don't know, you just got to keep on going. That's all I can say. And, and when you go to hospital, when you have your hospital admissions, that's tiring. Like that's really tiring. Um, it's good though. One thing in the hospital, like, cause they have their own fridge. You've got to have your own fridge to put all your medication and stuff in. So I used to sneak in some vodka. <laughs> in the in the in the um, I'd, I'd tip out like a, I'd take a lemonade like glass bottle or a soda water bottle and I'd put, put some vodka in it and I'd go down to um where you make a cup of tea in the parents' room or whatever and I'd go and get there's an ice machine and I'd go and get a cup of ice in in the styrofoam cups and <laughs> go back to the bedroom and. Have a swig of the vodka. Oh, it kept me sane. So. You're going to get in trouble for this. I know. <laughs> they'll probably next time we're in there, they'll be, um, yeah, checking out the fridge. But anyway, oh, look, for a new new person with a newborn, um, yeah, it's it's a long road. But there's hope as well. You know, there's hope. Lucas is, he's going good. So, um touch wood, like well, there's no wood near me, but anyway, touch wood, <laughs> um, that he's still going to thrive, you know, he's got a future ahead of him. So, Oh, Reggie, you are an inspiration. <laughs> You're quite extraordinary. Um, <laughs> Reggie Bird, former Big Brother winner times two and advocate for cystic fibrosis and teaching us all to perhaps not take life too seriously and just yeah. uh, your, your resilience is quite as I said, quite extraordinary. You've got to live. You've got to get out there and 
grab life with both hands and just make the most of it and, and not be so serious, you know. Yeah, don't be so serious. I like Life's, that approach. Thank yeah. you so much for joining us and thank you for oh, sharing thank you. your story, your family story with Lucas and me. It's, it's, um, it's quite incredible and I wish you oh. only the very best of health moving forward. Oh, thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate um, coming on. To support the search for a cure for cystic fibrosis, check out the links in the episode notes. And to enjoy more parenting stories like this one, please like, follow, subscribe and share Dr. Golly and the experts wherever you listen. For any information on my sleep programs or new book, head to drgolly.com. Just before you go, I have a quick favour to ask. If you're enjoying this podcast, I'd love if you could rate and review the show so that more people can find us and hear the incredible stories of my phenomenal guests. Thank you.